Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of literature, the show of Oakland Brexit, traveling around Austin on a bike, but mostly today's conversation is about the lovely, supple, sultry spirit, Jin. We chat today with the owner of White Chapel, the amazingly world-renowned Jin Bar in San Francisco, Alex Smith. Alex is very human, he's very kind, he's very observant, he's a writer turned hospitality professional, and he had this vision for a gin bar that came together so amazingly in San Francisco via Whitechapel. So I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Alex Smith. That wasn't there, that wasn't there. Yeah. This place is totally different. And he wasn't sure if he liked it or not. So. Yeah, it's, I think that's kind of good. I think that Austin shouldn't always be that comfortable because it has to evolve and has to kind of grow. I feel the same way about San Francisco, quite yeah. frankly. A lot of people complain a lot about how San Francisco isn't what it used to be. Sure. It's not that, that funky, crazy, quirky, liberal city. Yeah. Uh, it is becoming obviously more high tech. Totally. And, uh, building developments happening everywhere. You know, it's interesting. There's an interesting parallel, I think, to people saying, "I want to go back to how it was." Right. That's a very dangerous sentiment. I agree. You know, like I this agree. is this is you know we won't say who, but this is a particular operating platform for this upcoming presidential election. Absolutely. Like, Let's make San Francisco great again. Yeah. What is the, does that mean? <laughs> remove tech? Does that mean like removing people? Right. Put right. them in. Have them go camp somewhere. Well, yeah, I mean, I it's, it's almost like if you were uh, if you were a lizard, a dinosaur, yeah. primate, and you were saying down with evolution, you know, right? Like, exactly. Well, it happens. It does, and it's for the benefit. <clears throat> it's all about adapting. Right? Ultimately, that's right. Yeah. I would say, yeah, it's very. But it's interesting. There is, <clears throat> I mean, obviously, San Francisco is a metropolitan, and my mom was raised and born in San Francisco, so wow. we would go back and visit the family every now and again. Nice. And hearing her talk about it in the the '60s and stuff, and how the hippie culture was just kind of starting to percolate and you've got amazing film scene, new wave is coming in. Right. And, uh, it sounded like such an amazing place. And so even now it's funny because she's the opposite. She's like, God, it got so weird, yeah. <laughs> which is weird because it's kind of the opposite of people are like, no, bring back the weirdness. But she's saying, no, it's yeah. actually, it's way too weird for me now. Maybe it's all the nudity for her. It's I'm too not ex- weird now. Huh? Yeah. And that's strange. Interesting. Yeah. But that's still a similar sentiment in that she, likes what it was right she has a sure. certain comfort yeah it's a good point what it was the donna reed in the kitchen that's what i call it when you talk about certain people in the oh, states yeah. man it's like bring the women back it's a very dangerous a very dangerous slippery slope of bit but so you've been in austin here for a couple of days what brought you just kind of exploring are you looking to maybe open a spot or what can or you cannot say about well yeah i mean certainly not op- looking to open a spot here yeah. uh Vacation was a big motivation. Okay. I wanted to get away from uh, the post-opening of Whitechapel and yeah. the stress and all the, the constant work. I mean, even on my days off, when I get them, it's 
a lot of work. Still. Communicating with people, solving problems, dealing with issues. and Money, people, time, like all of it, right? It almost never stops. Uh, and then, so so I wanted to get away. I, mm-hmm. I wanted to sort of de-stress. Sure. But I also wanted to check out Austin and see, not necessarily for opening a place in Austin, but I wanted to check out the patio culture The the oh, because of the weather, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It is such a prominent feature of nightlife or just going out. People yeah. enjoying food and drink in an p- outdoor patio setting. Totally. The misters and all that, you know? Yeah, did you get to a chance to check out, oh, I forgot, the, the name escapes me. Um, there's a spot that's entire, basically like entirely outdoors that's on the, the east side. And I, it's very meat heavy, but very interesting. And every single person that I've interviewed has freaking worked there. And for some reason, I can't remember. Huh. I'll, I'll, I'll follow up and make sure. But there's there's explicitly a place like out, like kind of out by the airport closely. Okay. And uh, totally outdoor. It's pure patio stuff. It's so, so cool. At any rate, so what your thoughts of Austin? Is it as patio driven as you thought coming in? Yeah, even more so. Yeah, I was I was you know told a little bit up front to expect a lot of great beer gardens. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, the patio scene. It, it seems almost every place that has a bar has some kind of outdoor area to enjoy the oh, drinks my. that they make. So uh, to me, that was that's it's it's definitely a huge part of the local culture here. Yeah, it's a very healthy place. A lot of people yeah. are outside, and as as much as we're outside running and swimming and jogging and all of that or uh, biking they're drinking so it's a nice kind of balance yeah there's so many damn breweries but everybody's relatively healthy here in austin seems yeah. like it yeah same thing have you ever been to boulder i have not been to boulder same no. kind of thing huh. except it's less varied racially like here we have like there's a lot of different types of people which is really cool really fun mix here yeah yeah totally and but, but colorado's a little bit different but it's the same kind of thing people party really really hard but they work out really really hard huh just kind of cool yeah, it seems like people are in pretty good shape, you know, not yeah. like in the way that people down in LA are, right, where they're right. like artificially tanned and twenty five percent plastic, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. So then I kind of, you know, I have to wonder. You're at a gin bar, one of like a, a universally renowned gin bar too. I mean, like oh. immediately became with such a focus in that. How did how did all of this stuff kind of start? Are you from California originally? I know you said you live in Oakland, but is that where you grew up? From California originally. Didn't grow up in Oakland. No, I moved up uh, to Oakland as a young adult. Yeah. Um, and from L.A. Oh, from L.A. Yeah. So were you born in L.A.? No, I was born in Santa Clara. Oh, okay, enough. which is cooler, a little mellow, more mellow, right? For sure. I yeah. mean, I, I'm, <laughs> I like the association of being a true, authentic Northern Californian yeah. versus Southern Californian. I, when I left, by the time I left L.A., I was in my very early 20s, I um I was definitely ready to get away from the LA culture. Dude, it's it's a strange one. It's I, strange. I'm not a huge fan of it either. But yeah. I mean, but I live in California, so I can't complain, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. So what kinds of things? So Santa Clara, you're born and raised basically in Santa Clara. What kind of No, we parents moved away from Santa Clara pretty much right after I was born oh, to really? Chicago. Okay. Oh, to Chicago. Yep. My dad was a is is a dentist and he went to what was it, Northwestern so yeah, at, yeah. Uh, for dental school. And so they, they moved out there. I grew up 10 years there. Oh, cool. And from that Different point, weather, man. Has, was that oh, yeah. a big... Sh- well, but you weren't... I guess you, you didn't get too adapted to the California weather. Just, yeah. Right. No, but then at, at 10 years, we moved to LA. So oh, kind of went from Chicago for my first 10 years, LA for my second 10, yeah. 11 years. And then I decided to move up to Northern California because I felt, I felt uh, uh, a real... Uh, sort of uh, the culture that I I would visit friends going yeah, to Cal. Yeah, yeah. And I really vibed with... The whole more, uh, more Northern you, California. But Chicago's, what do you feel like? I, 
I've always found Chicago's intensely friendly people, like just very warm, you know? Well, yeah. Like, I mean, I grew your... up in the suburbs, so oh, that's certainly, go. that fits the bill. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, sure. Uh, would... Downtown, I didn't <clears throat> spend much time as a kid, of course, downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, it would maybe, I have random memories of my mom taking me to work and, you know, dragging me down the sidewalk and I'm yeah. like, trying to keep up with her, but... <laughs> Um, it's a big city of big, big buildings city, and everything, lots of people, right? Yeah. What was, so you you said your dad was a dentist. What did what was your mom doing? Uh, she well, very much retired now, but yeah, both yeah. are. But um, lucky, lucky. She was a an executive secretary. Oh, cool. Uh, for various different companies. Yeah. Uh, growing up. And so, do you have any brothers or sisters? Half. half. I, I was raised as an only child, uh-huh. but I do have two half sisters. Oh, okay. Um, one of which I have been very close with most of my life, yeah. and the other one. I just kind of got reu- reunited with a little bit. Interesting. Are they younger? Uh, well, one's 10 years older, one's okay. 10 years younger. Which one do you get along with? The, uh, the younger one, one is the one that I I have a longer relationship with. Gotcha. That yeah. makes some sense. Was that part of the reason that uh, you guys went to LA? Some of the, the, the or was the family still fully intact at that point? Uh, no, very much not. No, my, <laughs> my family, not, my yeah. family uh, didn't last long as, yeah. a, as a unit. Yeah, my parents yeah. split up when I was young and, oh, yeah. and uh, ended up going to LA with my mom and stepdad. And, uh, yeah, so it was, it was a fractured family experience, which has got to be difficult. I moved around a lot. Now, now my parents, they got married very interesting story kind of early on for me, but they, they got married when I was eight. Right. So interesting. Got married when you were eight. That's right. Nice. <laughs> so, you know, I, there's some things, interesting story there. Like I said, my mom uh-huh. chasing this fella around, I guess oh. you could say, but we moved right around that time too, when I was changing schools, right? Like when you're starting to kind of get stuff cause you're 10, you know, uh, yeah. roughly and it's like oh i kind of get like, maybe i'm getting myself maybe this makes some sense and then things kind of get uprooted in your head into la it's gotta be relatively tough yeah yeah it was i didn't have any choice but well, it was sure, there right? was definitely stresses involved for sure yeah what kind yeah. of what, could, what kind of stuff did you kind of like in school were you doing music at all or more academic stuff uh, very much more academic stuff yeah academic a little well a lot of literature oh yeah. poetry uh, novels, things like that. Still to this day, pretty interested in that stuff. I, I went through a long phase where I burned out. I w- ended up going to UCLA as a uh, lit major. Okay, and they're on the quarter system, and we they would force us to read these long books so the stale, fast. The stale stuff, like like Hawthorne and stuff, which people Actually, appreciate Hawthorne, which is great. But I enjoyed the books yeah. themselves, but they the timeline. I'm a, I'm not a fast reader. Yeah, I like to slowly absorb things and sometimes read things a couple times. I mean. Not Sa- the entire book, it, but the right? sentence a couple times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just kind of like really like let it wash over me, mm-hmm. and uh, and they really took all the enjoyment out of it. <laughs> and they said, yeah. "You're you have to read this book by next week." I was like, "Wow, really? really? Yeah, because yeah. it is. I mean, you think about how influential. What was was a more American lit for you? English lit, European? Was there a specific? Uh, it was kind of bouncing all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Anybody that you felt like. Interestingly enough, for myself, when I when I read Jane Eyre, mm. I was like, "Oh, I kind of get things a little more now, like on an emotional maturity level." Oddly enough, and that's a weird one to, you know, kind of side with one of the Bronte sisters. But was there anything that you remember kind of reading? They're like, "Man, this kind of opens things up for me a little bit." Uh, James Joyce, Ulysses. Oh, yeah. I studied that. I had one class dedicated to that one book. You have to, right? It's a massive book, massive and complex as heck. Yeah, yeah. crazy. Um, Shakespeare, I kind of. In at UCLA studying, I his language clicked, and yeah. I could read it. I, like I didn't necessarily need the uh, the notes mm-hmm. to the, to interpret, you know, what he was saying. Of course, there was a lot of uh, political or social references that I I didn't get. But sure, sure. The language I could actually read through pretty 
pretty smoothly. It's melodic kind of the way that, that he writes. The way oh, yeah. people, you know, I love the way the, the meter of it is just beautiful. Yeah, clever. Yeah, powerful, colorful. Yeah, very colorful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're rushed to read through these books, which you should just be able to sit in a hammock and enjoy. It's what they were made for. Right? I think that that's probably what they were made for. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And then they kind of you deconstruct them, mm-hmm. and you go, you rush through it, and I, by the time. By the time I actually dropped out of uh, UCLA and to move up to to well Berkeley at the time, yeah, um, I was so burned out on reading. I literally didn't read for years after. Really? That. Yeah, man. So I was just started it, to get back into it not too long ago. Did you just shift to like mo- movies or music or anything? Something a little bit easier to consume? A lot easier, yeah. yeah. Exactly. That's right. That's my thing, and it's not because I'm lazy. I just love the visual representations of things. Yeah. Don't leave it to me. You can get so much. You can get so much more. Yeah. Uh, in in visual arts and audio arts, so much quicker. Yeah, it's like your totally. body and mind are eager to absorb it. Sure, but with the the words on the page, it's fun to absorb, and you really absorb it deeply. Mm. But it, I mean, at least for me, anyway, it takes time. It really, you're, you're like, right because it soaks like, soaks in slowly. Totally, it's one dimension, and not not to mm. say that in your mind it's not multi dimension, but literally it's physically it's one one dimension. So yeah. No real room for colors. Those are all kind of implanted by our own interpretation of, of the words themselves, which is We're imagining what we're reading. Exactly. So we have to interpret the black and white coloration yeah. on the page. And so it's, it involves a lot more effort on totally. our part. No, it does. And it makes you, t- and, it, and if you have to rush through it, mm. it's not, this thing kind of defeats the purpose of it. But, but see, the other thing I, I think about that, any, you music guy as well? Yeah, I like music. I was much more passionate about music when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, now it's, I, I listen to it a lot, but I don't associiate my like who I am with right. the bands I listen to. Ah, used yes. to, used well, to, you know, I mean, I think we're both older now. Shirts, that, yeah. Yeah. Where you're like, I just like what I like. I'm not trying to make totally. a statement with my Fugazi shirt anymore. Absolutely, right. right. Which, which was a huge thing like, in high school. I was like, dude, that guy's got that shirt. Yeah. Never had that shirt. I wish I did. But, <laughs> but, but you think of like, any of the large Beatles compositions, let's just say, like A Day in the Life or something, anything off Sgt. Pepper's. And so you listen to it once. Okay. Mm. Okay. You hear it. You get it. It's like, oh, well, I hear the voices. You listen to it again. Stop listening to the voices. You start listening to the horns. You're like, what? Whoa. Mm. Whoa. Okay. Stop listening to the horns. Listen to the drum. And then that's the great thing about music, much like a book, I suppose. But it's, it is, as you said, it's easier to digest. It's much more quick. But yeah. it's very visceral, right? Totally. Because reading is not really visceral. Yeah, absolutely. So you go up and you said you transferred in. Were you pursuing a different field or did you actually transfer to Berkeley from UCLA? I, I, I didn't transfer to the school. I just moved to the city. Oh, I see. I dropped gotcha. out of school altogether. Yeah. Uh, just in hopes, actually, back then, I was even hoping to um, to open up a little live music venue slash bar. No kidding. Yeah, I mean, I was I was in the industry, kind of fell into it casually, not really knowing what I was going to do with my life. Yeah. But I, I liked it and I, I liked the idea of opening a venue uh, of course you know first one of the first things i did when i moved up there was to uh, go to the bank and talk to a banker and say right. hey i want to take a loan out i want to open oh, that's a bar a wonderful wanna... experience isn't it oh it was uh <laughs> it was a real yeah it was a wake-up call <laughs> humbling at the the least right i think she was trying not to laugh really hard at me <laughs> she, how old were you at that time <laughs> um uh, early 20s early i think 22 at that time yeah yeah oh that's even harder right like you're not even I had experience as a bar back and bartender at that point. busboy bar back and bartender yeah and literally for maybe a year's worth of bartending experience. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they just they essentially laughed at me. That's, just, so, that's Well, that's how Without it goes. really laughing. Yeah. It's like, <clears throat> or would it, could, 
chortling, chortling. That's the word, right? Yes. Where just like this brief kind of dude <laughs> laughed at those fuckers, right? Anyway, we've been through it. I've been through that. And obviously, as biz- we're both business owners, and you go through that, and you start taking it in stride as you get older. Oh yeah. So did you then say, well, all right, well, maybe I can't do this of anything right now, but I'm gonna still do bartending? Was that even a conscious decision? Yes. Yeah, I did. I did stick with bartending. Although the first job I got was busing in Berkeley. Yeah. I needed to pay my bills right away. So I took whatever I got. And then kind of as opportunities arose, I moved into bartending. What kind of bartending at that point? Because it's probably transactional stuff, right? Not too creative. College bartending. Ah, I was at uh, Blake's on Telegraph, which I don't think exists anymore. Uh And, um, and it was, yeah, it was nothing sophisticated. I didn't learn anything by doing it. I Mm. literally means to an end, right? Yeah, pay yeah. bills. Yeah, interesting. Well, it's in it, to think that it's come this far. You're just doing it. You're kind of in the moment. Was mm-hmm. there something you're saying? Well, all right, when I get out from under this, was there an industry that you thought was going to be your career? Had you really made that decision? Uh, not, not really. I think at that point I was still in a. I although I had goals of yeah. wanting to open up something and do something on my own. I didn't have the means and I certainly didn't have the experience. Right. And so I just fell into enjoying life, you know, as a, Amazing. as a young in Berkeley, 20 mid twenties in Berkeley. Yep. Good. Uh, I moved I mean, out of Berkeley a couple of years after that. Uh, what was it? 95. Well, maybe even one year after that. Yeah. Moved into uh, Oakland and, and still live in Oakland. That's crazy. Yeah. Cause it's, I mean, if we're talking 20, roughly 20 years ago, say mid nineties, yep, a little over 20. Yep. This, I mean, Oakland has to at this point be completely transformed. Uh, it, well, yes, but it's, it's transforming itself very slowly. Is it? It is. It's ridiculously mismanaged. It's. I heard the whole police fiasco. Oh my God. You heard about that? That would make an amazing movie. Yeah. I mean that. If it'd be believable. Truth is stranger than fiction. Absolutely. Yeah. This was I, a series of coincidences, a series of deaths, a series of just everything. It's like insane. And yeah. I, you know, if, for those of people that I, I I'm not going to pretend like I'm educated on it, but read up on what the hell that scandal is with the Oakland Police Department. The chief stepped down, right? That was the recent thing. Uh, yeah, and I haven't been following it too closely yeah, to be honest yeah. with you. I, I I read a little bit about what was going on, and I literally just went, I threw my hands up, and I was like, oh my god, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, and I, I I should look into it more, but no, but I've heard three police chiefs in ten days. Yeah, exactly. Is that, is that Ma- massive corruption? Suicide. I mean, it, honestly, yeah. it was a massive intrigue novel. Child um, trafficking, trafficking yeah. rights, and prostitution, and God knows what. I Unbelievable mean, craziness. When being someone that could call them, so this actually is a nice way to, to take it back. So mm-hmm. I've been in Austin fifteen, going on sixteen years. Mm-hmm. I don't ever go back and be like, oh, I wish Austin was the way. I like to adapt. I like to evolve. I like to change with the time, so to speak. Sure. So you can call yourself now like an old town, old old school Oakland, if that's even the right way. Yeah, yeah, I've literally lived there for at least 20 years, that's 20, in, 21 that's years. That's incredible. Yeah. What was it What was it about Oakland that really drew you to it? Because it is a very stark contrast from San Fran, really. Yeah, uh, well, uh, one of the things I, I motivated me more, not, not moving to Oakland, but moving away from Berkeley. Yeah. Uh, there was, I would get off work and wait for the bus, uh, or what was it? Uh, <sighs> I forget what I was seeing. I was seeing all kinds of kids on Telegraph, uh, like passed out, puking. 
I think really? it was just the drug okay. abuse, kind of weird, like yeah. like uh, street hippies Vague. or street street punks or whatever. Street punks, okay, yeah. That, yeah, it makes sense. And it just got so depressing to see that day after day. And here I am, you know, I thought moving out to Oakland would kind of solve that that problem, get yeah. that out of my life, and um, it didn't really. And then here I am in San Francisco, working in San Francisco now, right, right, at Whitechapel, and I take Bart in five days a week, uh-huh. Bart back at least, and. Um, I'm walking through the TL, through Civic Center, okay. from BART to work, and I'm kind of seeing the same sort of same thing, thing all over again 20-some years later. You would think that later. that would be different, you know? Yeah, it's frustrating, and it's depressing. Is it Oakland? I mean, from my interpretation of it, as a huge outsider right here in Texas, in the nice, safe old Austin, Texas. Mm. Is Oakland, did you feel like it was a safe place to be for you when you moved out there 20 years ago? Well, not Oakland has had a reputation Absolutely. to outsiders for still, I, I still? presume still Well, this does. does not help this police no, fiasco. right. We're well, like, what the fuck do they do in Oakland over there? That's crazy. You know? It seems that the crime in general is going down in okay. Oakland. Yeah. But then you look at what's happening with the corruption uh, on the police department and, yeah. and in, in the local politics is generally kind of crummy. I mean, yeah. it's it's not run well. There's a lot of corruption. Um, I don't know what they're focusing on, but right. I think Oakland could be developing in a more progressive, uh, more efficient, faster, sure, sure. and smarter way. But I think everyone's got their hands in everyone's pockets, and they're not really f- their their eyes are certainly not on the prize in terms of right. actually developing the, po- the hands in the pocket. It's how how lots of things are. Yeah, they're not really looking too well. I mean, again, it's the same thread narrative, right? That people don't want shit to change, whether yeah. they're or they're mad that it has because they don't have the same money they did before, and that's why the UK is breaking out of the EU. I mean, that's, that's ins- crazy too. Yeah. It's insane, right? Yeah. I didn't think that this conversation would have so much similarities that, like, on just a, a very local level mm. here in Oakland, that the sustained corruption is what's preventing progress. And then you think about it in the EU, which I'm not going to pretend to know too, too much about the UK because I never yeah. lived there. Yeah. I have a pro tem Brit, though, that sits next to me at work, and we, we can talk politics about that. Nice. But I mean, that's that, that's the thing. Like, that's the opposite. They're so afraid of change because it's apparently offended them or whatnot, even mm-hmm. though now people are having, they're facing retribution for those votes. They're actually already feeling guilty about vote, voting. Did you see this? No. Like I, put, I, I, yeah, no. post-voting poll. They're like, oh, wait, what did we do? What did we vote for? Right. What the, are the actual consequences? That's, oh, right. Go. Consequences. Oh, <laughs> shit. Our prime, the prime minister stepped down, right? Uh, yeah, Cameron, yeah. yes, I believe so. I mean, that's, yeah. that's like, Obama's like, I'm out, guys. Sorry, I fucked up. I'm out of here. Actually, Easy. it's kind of admirable that that would happen. At any rate, yeah. so we're talking Oakland wasn't so safe. It's in a marginally improving over time over these past couple of decades. Yeah. Were, what, were you still doing bar work or bartending and stuff when you moved there 20 years ago? Yep, yep. I Well, I ended up uh, working at a beer place. Well, uh, was it in Oakland or San Fran? In Oakland. Okay. And uh, that's one of the things I wanted to get out of well, it was it was in Berkeley. I was in mm. Berkeley originally, and then I moved to Oakland yeah. and started working in Oakland because I, I got sick of that depressing, just the, street punk the va- thing it, that I kept saying. You know, dirty, so puking, passed out kids, and I was like, to me, that's just like such a waste of potential in life. And yeah. you know, I mean, where, I was partying and having a good time as a young young man, but yeah, not quite like that. And it's interesting that, that you, where did you get this sense of humanity about you now? Because a lot of people, huh. they, they have this coldness or they just don't, okay, they ignore it, right? Com- compartmentalize things that's like exactly that and just kind of right. yeah. move on and, and of look the other so way. Well, that's the, that's the way it is. But it actually like sincerely 
it touched you for lack of a better word why do why do you think that is it's it's interesting because i've met a lot of people in these interviews and you're, you're about like the 102nd or whatnot so there's a lot of great conversations and this is a very humane moment like there's bound to be a reason that you gave a shit yeah well i mean part of it might stem from my original um originally why i got into poetry and i was writing as well oh yeah uh, okay. i kind of felt a certain uh, i don't know artistic um, motivation to mm-hmm. express myself and and observe the world around me and yeah. respond to it, it and, and express the feelings that it, it created in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, th- there might be some, something to that effect. No, but that's on. for you. A, a man think, of, I've, you, I've grown so far away from that <laughs> since then, you yeah. know, it's, it may still be there, but it certainly is, is covered with layers of work and, right. and, responsibility and goals being tactical and like just making sure you're getting this stuff done but it's a beautiful concept though that we do as artists whether it's music or or film or poetry especially which is becoming increasingly a lost art because everybody's a poet apparently and absolutely and they didn't even know it No, (laughs) no but that that's a very honest thing like you're trying to connect with the world in a very sincere and unfiltered way Thusly, I imagine you're very empathetic, right? Yes, that that I have noticed about myself very consciously. I'm yeah. I definitely have a deep se- a sense of empathy that's for a, sure. That's a brilliant thing, especially if you're in the hospitality industry to bring that back because hmm. yeah. people like a church, like a party, like a funeral. Hmm. It's the same kinds of things that brings people into that bar, you know. So, as you as kind of like a, probably a deeply intellectual dude background in writing and in literature when did making drinks or did the industry ever become a poetic thing for you because there's a point like what you guys are doing at white chapel and i I still still need to go of course but the dedication to something that is not popular that is nuanced and passionate and the passion you guys bring into that menu and having a massive selection of spirits like that Mm -hmm. what was that moment for you where it's like okay this actually means something this is not just selling a drink that's a good question. That is a great question. I, I, it was not that long ago, believe it or not. Really? It was, well, the cocktail revolution had a profound impact on my career path, on, on my, um, my understanding of what I'm here for. It kind of brought me back on track to remember when I wanted to open that live music yeah, venue, venue right? when I first moved to Berkeley when I was too young to do anything. Um, I, I got distracted. I, I just kind of floated along, paying mm-hmm. bills, whatever. But when the cocktail revolution started to happen in the con- in this country, uh, we started to learn about you know fresh juices, making fresh syrups, and yeah. and measuring, jiggering cocktails, learning about these old cocktail books, Jerry Thomas, and sure. and you know it's like this this deep history gave what I was doing to pay the bills some kind of meaning. That yeah, I never incredible. really had, and it kind of got me back on track to thinking more entrepreneurial. Yeah, and and it really inspired me to to pursue ultimately what would become you know opening Whitechapel. That's incredible. Is it because that you what you're doing now is a time time old tradition? It's history. It yeah exactly. I and mean, you're it, just it, carrying that it, that it, culture, you know. It, justified what i was doing from yeah. just getting people buzzed and taking their tips yeah. to 
this is actually kind of socially historically relevant absolutely it has has some kind of some kind of meaning i mean whatever you want to attach to it um it's one of the pillars of society and that is not i don't think that is an exaggeration like we we're talking earlier food is a pillar right music film are a pillar and cocktails are a pillar now extension of food perhaps but right you know going to a public house and going to a cocktail bar again the kinds of things you engage with people you talk about human condition yeah yeah did you like that piece of it getting to know the people that came in and getting to understand what, what they're going through oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah i mean it, I, when i started to discover these things that as a country yeah. and 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 eventually as the the entire globe kind of has caught on to this cocktail thing totally, yeah. it really has grown um but when I just started to discover it, I also started to discover the pe- other people discovering it. And it was such, and it still is, such mm-hmm. a neat community of people that that just kind of see things a different way. And they see an importance in something that I think the vast majority of the population doesn't really see an importance in. But they, right. when, they when they're there experiencing it, they feel the importance, you know? It's exactly, it's, it's so siloed in a way, mm. you know? And it's speakeasy in itself in most of the styles of bars. They are inherently dark and kind of seedy, right? So it's yeah. like so in a way they're just already kind of outside public view. Well, that makes them mysterious, also. That's right. You know what is that? What is that red stuff in that little bottle you're dashing in that oh, drink? Totally, yeah. Um, what are you muddling that sugar cube in? What's what is that yeah. mysterious thing you're doing? What are these mysterious cocktail recipes? You're using recipes. You're I thought measuring it was just like this and this. Yeah. There's the Coke. There's the Jack. There's right. The, exactly. Right. It, it, it's it's bound. You're right, because much like writing where you have characters, you have personalities, you have tempo, you have complexity, mm-hmm. cocktails are characters in the same specific way. Who's the lead cocktail in a Manhattan, right? Well, should be the whiskey with some supporting personalities. Yeah. You know, and so was do you find when you're starting and kind of really have this invigoration and, and are now inspired again in these entrepreneurial Neurops or synapses are firing and all that. Mm. Were you flocking towards more dark spirits, light spirits? What? Where do you think your fl- your taste fell in that? Well, personally, I tend towards I, I lean towards darker spirits when I'm drinking just for pleasure. Yeah. Uh, not in a strong, strong way. I don't have a strong preference in that regard, but I kind of lean that way. Yeah. Um, I like to sip on a, a bourbon or scotch neat. It's just kind of totally. fun for me. Yeah. Um, well, it's a cocktail in itself, right? You yeah. don't make anything. Yeah, it's it's complex and delicious. I mean, so is gin in the sense that you got all these botanical notes and yeah. fun things happening too. Um, but uh, what I what I noticed at some point along the way, uh, when I first started to discover these these complex cocktails, the historical mm. aspect of it all, and and seeing how cocktail bars were evolving and, and developing, I noticed that there were new gins coming on. I was a bar manager, so I was yeah. People where were, coming. were you working at that point? Uh, that point was uh, Thirsty Bear in okay. San Francisco. It's, it's where, a brewing company, but also a full bar. Very cool. What what year are we talking? To give you kind of sense of place here. This would have been probably around two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Okay, okay. If I'm recalling correctly. Oh yeah, that's all when it's bubbling up. Yeah, a lot of it, lots yeah. of things happening. Absolutely, for sure. And I was just just discovering the community, uh, discovering other bars that were opening up around uh, mm-hmm. that had, uh, they were whiskey centric or tequila centric, uh, even pisco centric. Yeah, um, wow. And then of course, uh, Smugglers comes along. There's other rum bars as well. Right, right. You know, not necessarily in San Francisco, but in in the country That's around. Right, yeah. Uh, but one thing that I noticed as uh, as a bar manager, people were coming up up to me 
more and more with new gins. Uh-huh. And it wasn't exploding at that time, but compared to what was available before that, Matt, you had like right. a half a dozen gins yeah. for the most part. And now you had a dozen and then you had a dozen and a half. That's right. And I was thinking, wow, well, this is kind of happening fast. Yeah. And I don't see any bar that is really focusing on gin like the whiskey bars focus on whiskeys. Like, like Rick, was Rickhouse around then? Um, probably, no, not quite then. But that, but right. But Bourbon and Branch was. Okay, okay. Uh, Beretta was. Um, what else? Nopa was. Ah, yeah. Uh, so there's some great, great bar programs around. Absinthe at the time, I mm. think, was kind of paving the way. Um but there, and then, uh, then there was the, I guess, there was definitely, I think, Trace Agaves opened up okay. right around then, too. And they were a big tequila bar. Yeah. Um, nobody was doing gin. Nobody was doing full on hardcore gin cocktails. Right. So that's where the seed kind of planted itself, you know? And did, and did you say, like, okay, so I'm going to reimagine this idea I had some time ago about a venue and a bar. Did you still want it to be a venue, or are you like, I want a curated gin experience? No, it was all about like- the cocktail. All yeah. about the cocktails at that point. Uh, Interesting. Not so much the venue like for live music anymore. Right, right. Because uh, it is you got a stage, right? The bar is a stage. If you absolutely, think about it, you know? yep. And I, I had I had become enamored with the the cold draft, the big ice cube, and yeah. the multiple types of bitters. And that's another thing that started to come along more and more. You started to see uh, not only the classic Angostura and Peychauds mm. were available, but then uh, you know Regan's came out with his orange bitters, right. and Peychauds or no uh, Angostura came out with their orange bitters. And then Fee Brothers started coming out. And right, peach, all, chocolate, mint. Like all kinds of crazy opening stuff. Opening stuff up, yeah. Yeah, and so that kind of thing to me was like, that was my new focus. That was yeah. it. I wanted, to, I wanted to go in that direction, and I wanted to do gin. And I wanted to do it fast. I wanted yeah. to do it right away. It took me seven years to get. <laughs> to the- <laughs> did you go back? And what was the conversation this time when you went back to the bank? Or did you say, well, I want to work with some people? I, well, I learned my lesson. I, you know, uh, I didn't go back to the bank. Yeah. I, I, well, I, no, that's not true. Actually, I, I talked to a banker that someone recommended I talk to. And even then with a business plan, yeah. they were like, mm, not restaurant bar, too risky. We're not, we're not interested. Wow. And plus I had no track record. You had run, run anything by yourself, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's so hard. So hard. Getting the, getting the wheels off the, the ground, you know? Yeah. So what, what was the next step then? How did you start? How did you continue the momentum? Did you enlist the help of other people or? That's exactly what I did. I, I actually started to talk to more, and more people about it. Yeah. I mean, there's somebody said to me just a few months ago. Uh, in fact, I think it's my one of my partners right now, Martin Kate. He's mm-hmm. like, yeah, he was talking to like everyone in town about it, and I was the one guy who kind of decided, eh, all right, I like it. Let's, yeah. let's see if we can make it happen. So That's amazing. Yeah, I yeah. literally talked to dozens of bar owners who I'd gotten to know. Yeah, who I th- I think you know we had a good relationship. We still do. Mm-hmm. Um, respected me. I respected them, but they weren't quite ready for it either. They didn't see what I saw or they just weren't in a place in their, in their entrepreneurial right. existence to want to take that on. Yeah. Cause that's a, I mean, if you think about it, it's a very innovative thing to do. The only other place I knew in the States that had any kind of dedication to gin and that was gin palace. That was right in uh, New York and that closed. Right? It did close. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, obviously the torch has to be handed off. And so yep. we're probably talking 2009, 2010, you're getting people and you guys are thinking about, what this is going to look like. How many partners did you end up taking on? Uh, ended up with two others. So oh, there are bad. three yeah. of us and they're both former bosses of mine. Oh, cool. Which, yeah, it's cool. It's to me, that means a lot to me yeah. personally, um, not even professionally, but just personally, 
that they think enough of me as a person, yeah. as a manager, um, as, as a bartender, well, former now, but yeah. <laughs> um, they thought enough of me to want to actually invest their futures to a degree yeah. in this idea of mine and take me on as a partner. Well, they know talent. That's a, you, have you noticed that's one of the key things that people have love, to have? Love that you said that. Yeah. But, yeah I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, it is, right? Yeah. It, people that have done it know who they can tell who the right people are to help do it too, right? Yeah. So it's like entrepreneurs can smell other entrepreneurs. Mm. And then we can smell fake ones. Mm. It's like, oh, you launched a website. Cool. What are you really doing? Yeah. You know, but this, when you talk about a brick and mortar retailer, ultimately, that's, that's tough. Distillery is tough. You're doing this thing. You're making this thing. Yeah. You have staff. You've got money. You've got taxes. Were you, you ready for bills, all of that stuff? You got employees. Oh, oh man. personalities. You've got, you got to make sure you, you can keep the, a constant culture. Yeah. You know, and like that Absolutely. comes from you and from the other owners. It's a lot to think about. And did, did it ever overwhelm, overwhelm you uh, getting into it? Well, I mean, it certainly could have. The, sure, the feelings, yeah. uh, this has been a crazy ride, still is. Yeah. Um, but I am, I am doing what, everything I can, I feel, to prepare myself and to stay on top of it and try mm-hmm. to get ahead of it. Um, I'm reading books about management uh, techniques and theory. Yeah. I'm reading books about, um, uh, or I'm, I'm doing a lot of uh, podcasts, uh, listening to a lot of podcasts yeah, yeah, about yeah. startups and leadership. Yeah. Uh, because I think it's really important. You mentioned the culture. Yeah. So important to create a positive culture mm-hmm. for your staff. I think as a, as a bar owner now, I think the most important thing I or any, any owner of any business can do is to really focus on their staff and to try to make their staff experience meaningful and, yeah. Oh, yeah. and gainful so that they have something. No employee is going to stay with you forever. And when they leave, whether it's, you know, next week or next year or, you know, 10 years from now, yeah. I want them to take something, some skill, some, something right. they learned. You want to have enriched them in some way. Them in some right? way. Yeah. That's right. Well, and that's, and that's yeah. a good thing. A lot of people don't necessarily think about it that way. They think about it so right. transactionally right. that they forget that one of the main transactions or one of the main products is the people. Absolutely. You know, and this, this, you know, we can talk about manager styles, but like, let's put it this way. If you're a dick, they're going to be a dick. It's just yep. like your parents. Yep. Parents are nice and they're not fighting. Well, you'll probably be nice and not fighting. There are exceptions, of course. And you always have people that try to disrupt that culture because misery loves company, as we know, right? Oh, yeah. But, oh, yeah. It's but a this, constant struggle. Totally. <laughs> I imagine. And what, what's, how many staff do you guys have now? Uh, we have, including all back of house and everything, i say right around 30. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah it's a massive team. Then. It's pretty big. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean compared, big yeah, enough. <laughs> yeah, right. So... How many years then in development did it take before you guys finally were able to locate the actual place where you wanted to do this? Yeah, that was a fun process, boy. That was uh, <laughs> yeah, fun, right? In air quotes. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, we looked at so many different places. Uh, Martin was the first person who had committed to being my partner, mm-hmm. and then my my then current boss, John Park. Mm-hmm was interested in not only the idea, the concept I had shared with him, but he had uh, he had um, knowledge and access to a particular location. Oh, great. Uh, because a friend of his was had owned and operated a nightclub at this location. So the license is there, right? The license was there. Perfect. The space was, the location was great. The mm-hmm. size was great. Um, then the rent was amazing. We didn't quite get the amazing rent, but right. we got decent, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but he said, Hey guys, I can, I can get our foot in the door and probably get us this space, but I want partnership. I want in. Yeah. Martin was really reluctant for a good reason. You know, he had been burned with, um, partnership experiences in the past. Did, so is Martin, I, I'm not too familiar with, with Martin. Does he own other sponsors? Oh yeah. Martin Kate, the owner of Smugglers Cove. Ah, I'm sure you've heard of that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Which uh, did you ever work there? I did. I was the opening manager there. Amazing. Yeah. So you've got you've former been, bosses. Yeah, as my that's partners. incredible. So you're you you've been in the very innovative spots in town. Like you've managed uh, to have learned something. Because I mean, having degree, a rum, having yeah. a rum bar. Like that's, well, yeah, that's the, kind of cool. You know, working there was an amazing experience. Working with Martin side by side. Um, he is he's kind of a visionary. Celebrity doesn't do it justice, but he's a he's an iconic figure ah, in yeah. in the cocktail and iconic spirit class. world. I've heard of him, and I've heard of, I would love to talk to him someday. I've never met him, but he, he seems he's like a cool guy. Colorful. He's he's also a trained thespian. He was an actor oh, um, in college at uh, Santa Cruz, I believe. Yeah, and I think even high school. Uh, so he's he's really colorful. He's very expressive, commanding. Yeah, very commanding. Yeah, he no can aesthetic. he can he can manage to enthrall a crowd of people. Uh, whether he's speaking about rum, tiki culture, or just you know shooting the shit, whatever. That's amazing. Yeah, he's a well, it's guy. great, great company to be around. Great people to be in a partnership with. Totally. Yeah. I would love. I hope I get to glean some of that off him. I, I I don't think I'll ever be a good public speaker, but he's inspiring in that regard. Yeah, sure. that's amazing. Yeah. And so, got he got burned a couple times. He's kind of reticent to let the third partner in. Absolutely. But I guess. They dropped the... Well, this is where I came in. Okay. <laughs> okay. I had to be uh, essentially a um, diplomat, politician, if you will. Absolutely. Oh, no, okay. Um, were, they, were, they, were they friends? No, they, no. Hadn't, they hadn't met each other. They oh, okay. only met okay, each okay. other Got in it. this uh, context, uh, in this process, through me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, was, it was really hairy here and there for a while yeah. because at one point, Martin was like, no, I can't, can't do it, not going to do it. Even after meeting him, right. even though John is a really great guy, very intelligent. Uh, but um, Martin was, he's very passionate about what he does for right. a living. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's also aware of his brand, you know, his, who he is in the, in the. Got a lot to protect. Absolutely. You know, he just came out with a, a book and that oh, amazing. kind of adds another huge layer to the his brand pers- of Martin King. And his persona. I mean, absolutely. it's a massive brand. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so uh, he, he wasn't sure if John had the passion behind um, wanting to be a partner in this particular concept, or okay. if he just saw ching, you know, right? Dollar that's a, well, that's in his a eyes. very good question. Yep, that's a very that is the the question you want to have when you is it good equity or bad equity? Right, right. And so, what do you think was the tipping point where Martin's like, oh, fine, okay. Multiple meetings, uh-huh. multiple discussions with me, trying to trying to make it happen, <laughs> piece this yeah. puzzle together. Even though the puzzle didn't want to get together right. initially uh, or at times, um, but with enough meetings and enough discussion and enough arbitration, as you sure, say, yeah. um, it, which makes it, it seem real contentious, but I like it that you're like in the middle, kind of like holding it, holding them away from each other. Well, it wasn't, it was never actually contentious in no, the sense I'm, that, I'm sure, you know, but it was difficult. It was yeah. definitely difficult to try okay. to convince this partnership to happen. Yeah. Um, eventually it did John, John very admirably, uh, admirably, admirably, um, yeah. <laughs> said, uh, you know, he, he, in one meeting, he just said, listen, I know how you feel about me. I know, I know what you're thinking. You've stated it several yeah. times. I'm, I'm going to assure you. And he went on to assure not only Martin, but both of us, yeah. that he's in it. He's really on his board. Heart's his, his heart's in it. Yeah. He is, his mind is such that he's a, he's a, um, 
very clear businessman, mm -hmm. you know, focused. Mm -hmm. um, but he's not cold, you know. Yeah. He's not. Um, he's not calculating. Oh, and he, if he is, he's in a good way. Put it in a nice know? way, yeah, like yeah. A, nat a natural way, not a contrived way. Totally. Those, and, I, he, and he's genuine. Yeah. And he's sincere about his intentions. That's great. And because he is sincere, and he's proven to be. Yeah. Um, he did convince us. I mean, we saw it. We saw it. Yeah. We we're like. All right, we'll put a ring on it. Yeah. Thank you. We'll trust you. We'll right. trust you. Let's. Go. How long did the deliberations take? Months, years. Everything felt like it took so long. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, uh, certainly months. Yeah. Certainly months. And then to find the right location. Well, to make this location work, Martin and, ha and I had been looking for a location before sure. this other opportunity came along. Yeah. Uh, but even to make once this location fell into our lap, it was not easy. Yeah. There were. I mean, there was starting and stopping. And going back to square one after a couple of months of negotiating with the was a sub lessee, right? Or the lessee, we were the sub lessee. Um, it got very complicated. It went back and forth. And were you getting downtrodden yet? Were you like, dude, I don't, know, I don't know if I can keep dealing with this shit. <laughs> well, yes, yes, <laughs> to a degree. I mean, yeah. obviously, we persevered. Sure, of course. Um, but yeah, it was it was getting to be arduous you know, process. It was rough. How long did it take in total? You think a couple of years? Couple of years altogether, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then uh, the the build out and transferring the liquor license. I mean, every every little step, dude, it takes forever. It's crazy man. when you're dealing with booze, especially. Yeah. So what? When did you officially have your soft opening or your grand opening there? Uh, soft opening in October, just October of last year. October twenty sixth is when we opened our doors to the public. Amazing. Yeah, it's great. So it's like about seven seven months in. Is that am I doing the maths right there? Yeah, seven or eight months in. That's pretty. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah for, for now, exactly. That's amazing. Yeah. And so, did you feel validated? Because if you think about it, this nugget of a concept to devote a space to gin, like you're kind of, it's, it's your turn, Alex. You're on stage, man. Go ahead and perform your song. You know. Yeah, I don't feel validated at all. No, I don't. <laughs> I mean, some people come up to me and they say, "Congratulations on the success." I'm like. What success? Yeah. There's no success. Well, it's not been open it's long It's a enough. constant struggle every yeah. day. And we're not anywhere near where we need to be in terms of paying people off. Sure. You know, oh, we're no, getting, like, we're getting, right, we're chipping right. away at it. But until, until I'm debt free and yeah. the investors are paid back. Yeah. I don't, I, I can't even accept congratulations or success. The word no, success. No, it's good. I, it's, I, you're, that's a great mindset. Yeah, like yeah. you're not in the clear. No one's ever in the clear that the boulder is still rushing behind you. It's just Absolutely. that you can, divert the path or not you know and get around it right but at least you feel you feel like those entrepreneurial muscles are flexing now like that you finally have made the the, the, ne the next chapter has started so to speak for sure yeah. i mean it's a milestone absolutely opening yeah. the doors um having the space built out having a staff on board which is at the beginning the staff was as it has been in all my opening experiences yeah rough a lot of transition initially um we like to think we have very high standards. Okay, we like to yeah. think we hold people to them. But in in always keeping in mind the, the context of that company culture, yeah. that we want to make sure the staff feel supported and appreciated. But at the same time, we have to give them the feedback that they need to uphold to these standards that, that. Yeah. we all agreed on you know, from day one. Yeah. It's and, a, do you feel like you have free reign to build that culture the way that you want to? Because I know you've got two other partners that probably oh, yeah. have different talents and things, but like, are they deferring to you to say, like, you build this culture with this? Now? They are in this, yeah, absolutely. In the sense that um, I was always positioned as the one that was was going to be there 
present yeah. all the time. Yeah. The, the like main Operating managing it. partner. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah, amazing. Exactly. Uh, they each have their own other bars to uh, focus on. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and and books and you know other ventures and, and <laughs> soon book tours. I'm sure. Oh yeah, has uh, to be. Yeah, literally not soon. Right in the middle. Of it. He just really? started it actually. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Is he, in, is he coming to Austin? Uh, I imagine he would. I, yeah. I, I don't really know what the tiki scene is like in Austin, to be honest with you. It's interesting. Mm. It's not massive, but it's not bad. We have Tiki Week every year, which is killer, and it's huh. a big dedication to tiki. I mean, him come. I mean, think about that. Him coming in for Tiki Week, amazing yeah. thing. The guy that kind of like put it on the map in the states. And of course, sure. like Trader Vic's and stuff. But you know, everybody knows Smugglers Cove. It's just like well, yeah, Martin. Stuff. Martin kind of was. I mean. Uh, he's certainly a key figure in the the resurgence of the tiki yeah, uh, culture. Definitely, um, he he took the the cocktail renaissance values mm-hmm. and applied them to tiki bars. Yeah, which up until I mean, Smugglers or Forbidden Island and yeah. Alameda, which was where he was before that, um, they were using Sprite and uh, sweet and sour, right? Synthesized stuff. Yeah. And and that was kind of universal at tiki places, uh, sugary sweet drinks that made you you know gave you a headache. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he took the uh, the modern approach to it, or the modern original, old fashioned approach to it. It's amazing. Uh, and fr- all fresh juices, all fresh syrups made. Totally by different hand. experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, yeah. So kind of step in away from from looking at what you've achieved with the bar and what you saw in gin, mm-hmm. which is a massive thing. And, it, you know, the market in Texas alone, just to give you kind of some insight. So when we started, we had two. We had our Navy Strength and we had a regular mm. gin, and we did this in 2013. There was four gins then mm. in Texas. Yeah, I was wow. like, all right, yeah, we're sitting pretty, right? Yeah. Now in 2016, there are 42. In Texas alone? That's right. Amazing. Isn't that crazy? I mean, the gin category has exploded. Right. It's outrageous. How... Which brings a lot of risks because there is a bubble in craft and there is absolutely a bubble in gin. There, there are a lot of good gins. There is no mm-hmm. doubt, and you guys carry so many fabulous styles of gin, so many mm-hmm. different skews of it that is lovely stuff, you know. Yeah. But at some point, like, is enough's got to be enough, right? Are you guys see that happening? Like, where it's like, I don't know that we need another gin. Oh no, for us, it's it's we'll take we're, we're taking a lot of. Um, a lot of cues from Martin's success at Smuggler's Cove. Yeah. He has built his rum collection basically as big as he possibly could. He never really says no to a rum. Well, let me not say never. <laughs> Flavored rums he won't carry, for sure, example. Sure. Uh, Uber cheap, terribly yeah. terribly produced rums yeah, right. he won't carry. Uh, unless there's some historical uh, or, or really sort of a collector, collectible uh, quality to it, maybe. Yeah, right. I guess, if there is such a thing out there. Yeah. Um, but uh, So we want to take that same approach. You know, we don't want to carry the cheapest of the cheap gins, but if it's a craft gin or if it's a, even a mass-produced quality, high-quality sure. gin, we want to carry it. Um, so, you so know. the doors are open. It's a really nice... For us. I think the risk might be more for uh, a gin producer. That's right. Yeah. Maybe who uh, needs to find shelf space, who needs to get um, some kind of market uh, uh, percentage. Wait, that's you know. right. Yeah, well, and you can't... So here's the interesting thing. I touched on this a couple of weeks ago, and I was teaching a class but mm. everybody when we started out when they talk about distilling like get the biggest still you can buy mm. okay all right well i'm looking around it's like 60 30 grand 60 grand I'm like huh that's pretty expensive yeah the roi on that's quite a lot of money right and so we didn't do that we did it small like making demos in the garage we bought three mics and we made the most out of it huh. and so we're now we're at capacity 
But most of these guys, they just overshoot it and they expect it just automatically that the gin category, the, now the category, of course, is exploding, like you said. And you guys yeah. have this amazing place to portray and, and, and exhibit all this great work. Yeah, but no one gin really gets too much attention. That's exactly so right. It, yeah. just, just like in the market in general, it's crowded. Mm-hmm. Our back shelves are crowded. There's yeah. a lot of gins in the, back there. I mean, hopefully it's a good place for maybe a brand to come and have an event yeah. where their brand is the featured gin at that event. Yeah, yeah. And what that does is maybe the local consumers learn about it. Mm-hmm. They associate it with a personality, whether it's a brand personality a, or maker, distiller personality right, right. or whatever it might be, or even a, a brand rep personality. Um, and, uh, and then they get a chance to learn about it and taste it, of course. And I love, you know, you were the least jaded person I've talked to. I love it. <laughs> I mean, it's great because you're like, no, we're, this is going to work. This is our model. We're going to bring in a lot of gins. There's always opportunity to connect with people. There's always opportunity to connect people with brands or as you said, distillers faces, yep. personalities. All that. It's really lovely that you guys are doing that. So <laughs> thank you. I mean, you know, I think it's, I mean, well, think, who else is doing that? Who has a gin bar? You know, it's not but a big, the, and it was different bar, in UK or whatever in London, right? But not in the states. Like that's not a thing. Sure. Well, the gin bars or the gin centric bar programs that came before tended to what we saw was they had a cocktail list. Say they had, uh, let's just say they had a dozen cocktails, right. maybe twenty. Yeah. Out of that twenty, twelve of them were gin cocktails, gin yeah. heavy. Sure. But then they had the rum cocktails, the tequila cocktails, the vodka cocktails, and the whiskey cocktails. Yeah. Our Cocktail list of over a hundred cocktails is literally every single one is gin or Geneva. Mm-hmm. Ah, Geneva, very true. Yeah. What did you have a particular style that you like over others? Uh, style of gin? Yeah, style of gin. Um, do I have a particular? No, not really. Um, I do uh, much like I appreciate different spirits. Sure. Even if I tend to lean like at the end of the day, and I want you know maybe a, a sip of a bourbon just to kind of like de-stress. Right. But I like all spirits. I really do. I appreciate them if they're well made or interesting and intriguing. Yeah. I like them. Um, and gin's certainly no exception to that. That's no, very I, intriguing. Yeah. A lot uh, of colors, a lot of notes to it. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, speaking of which, so we've been sipping some mezcal. This is the mm-hmm. third new Palenque from Mezcal Vago. Judo's an amazing person, Francisco. Wonderful people, great products. And mm. I, I, I'll never say his name right. I got to get it clear before I say <laughs> it on the microphone. But yeah. this is the new Madre Quiche from that third Palenque. Single distillation. Yeah. You talk saying, about yeah. interesting. What mm-hmm. do you, you think about that? Mescal we're drinking. It's about fifty plus percent ABV. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, it's yeah, good, right? I like it. A little uh, sort of vanilla marshmallow quality to it. Yeah. Definitely. Um, uh, yeah. What would you? The word you used, uh, grassy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I hate tasting notes, and I'm becoming very jaded on it. But I'll tell mm-hmm. you what, it definitely smells like nature. It smells like yeah. forest floor. That was the best thing I'd ever heard someone say. Like, oh, it reminds me of forest floor. Well, nobody tastes forest floor. But I know what it smells like, and I know what it right. could taste like. That's it. Exactly. It's so perfect, you know. And it's in, it's always exciting. You talk about interesting mezcal. This is the next boom. So gin is, is seeing right. it, and it's in in play right now. It's in season, and I don't know how yeah. things will turn out. I'm not sure. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of cash grabs, a lot of honest producers, a lot of great producers, not so great, you know. But mezcal is sure. kind of that next piece. So well, mezcal now has an inherent uh, uh, limitation factor to it with yeah. the. The world of the wild uh, agaves. That's right. Uh, you know, who knows how long that resource is going to be available to keep producing the kind of volume that the growth of the mezcal category exactly. is experiencing right now. Uh, gin, on the other hand, I don't think that there's an inherent limit in in the the resources. Sure, there's that no it takes scarcity to make it. with it. Yeah, 
brains and botanicals will theoretically always be around. Yeah. Um, but I do think that as the gin category gets more and more crowded, uh, there are uh, evolutionarily speaking, some will fall off by the wayside. They're the not going to be managed man. properly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, some will be mismanaged. Uh, some will be um, uh, just won't be make the cut for yeah. one reason or another. The, the, You're totally right. Well, it just has to be that way. Yeah. And we're all riding high right now, and it's all a great state of art. And if you look at Portland, that was the first real big local locavore kind of craft distilling situation. Yeah. A lot of brands closed down, man. You know, and Texas will be no different. Although we have a slightly larger market here, like four markets that could be one San Francisco kind of thing. You know. Right. But so right. that helps. But it's it's interesting to see what will happen, and I don't know where craft is going and it's always interesting to kind of speculate you know i think those that were early to market uh, such as you guys have yeah. a real advantage uh you're early to market and you produce quality product mm, thank you. and hopefully you continue to market it and manage it yeah so that the growth is sustained uh and uh and it's appreciated and it's people learn about it yeah they learn why that why they may want it versus the newest guy right to market the newness factor is yeah. always a piece right People so, are always intrigued by the new thing, but they just because they try it out doesn't mean they're going to stick with it. No, for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's fast, fair weather friends, right? Right. Uh, if once it's not popular, they're like, hey, well, I'm going to move on to something else, you know. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that this is this project at Whitechapel is going to be very successful, even when you might not feel mentally that you're out of the weeds yet, right? Yeah. But do you see the next step for you? Do you see what you'd like to do next? Have you thought about that yet? Yes, I I kick myself for even thinking along these lines. But yes, I have <laughs> ideas already that I want to, I want to, I'm already working on business plans. Yes, yeah, yes. amazing. Well, it's, that's once that fire starts burning, it never goes out. Right. And I'm, I, it's great that it, it came to fruition and you found people that are good personalities that believe in you, that know that you're talented. And I mean, if you're going to be reading on how to be a better manager, you're already going to be a better manager. You know what I mean? That makes sense. I, yeah, I, I like what uh, <laughs> the self initiated, I suppose, right? Yeah, I think there's even there's even in some of the books I've read, they they even say something along those lines. If you're reading this book, you're at least you know showing that you care enough. That's right. To to grow into a, a what they they term a great leader. Yeah, I don't expect to ever be a great anything, but I would like to be a good one. You know, yeah. I don't like to consider myself doing anything in life if I'm not going to try to do it well. At least, no, that's know? a good point. I'm glad you're not. Committed to mediocrity, as so many <laughs> many people are, you know. Committed you to ever, mediocrity, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> totally committed. To it. Do you ever see yourself going back to to writing, assuming that you don't currently? I can't imagine having the time right now, but yes, I, the desire to do that at some point would be nice. I, I, yeah. I maybe uh, if I can get the next project off the ground, yeah. Then you'll feel like you're a little in the clear. You well, start. I think I'll be busier. Yeah, but I think at some point maybe let's just say 10 years yeah and it's a kind of the dust has settled a little bit yeah i'd like to maybe but it would probably be a, an experience of like more um, autobiographical yeah of, and the, you're the great american novel about you <laughs> sure <laughs> it's more than 150 pages right just tell me that your life is like twists and turns that exceed 150 pages they uh, have to short story maybe one main character yeah and Hopefully a happy ending. I don't know. Any swords? People are into swords now. Uh, well, we have a sword at Whitechapel, so yes, there a sword could be involved. Well, yes, perfect. Yes, we had a one of our servers had it custom made, surprised me. Okay. Uh, gave it to me and said, "This is for Whitechapel." He had it inscribed. He had it made and then inscribed. Oh, amazing! With a little poem he wrote on it. 
It was great. Yeah, that's incredible. Does it, it hang above the bar? It like does, the sword yeah. of Democles? It is. Yes. Well, hopefully not like the sword <laughs> no, of Democles. No, no, okay. <laughs> but it does hang above the yeah. bar. Yes. Oh, it's amazing, man. Well, it, I'm I'm so glad that Jessica happened to be in your bar the other night, and she knew me, and then she met you. Wonderful personality, man. It's been really great chatting, and I hope that yeah, you enjoy. You. Me too. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the rest of your trip. And Austin, it's a good one. The weather's not too hot, a little bit overcast. What are you going to see I next? I'm loving it so far, just absolutely loving it. Well, good. right now, one one of the things I want to do is um, try to relax. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to take it easy. Uh, still want to visit bars and restaurants and sure. have fun you know, exploring the city a little bit. Yeah. But just at a nice leisurely pace. We rented some bicycles for the last couple of days. Amazing. Rode around Austin, downtown Austin on our bikes. That so, was fun. So great, right? Yeah. Time. Very, very good stuff. Well, thanks so much for stopping by, man. And uh, I hope I get to visit you in San Francisco. And I hope that I get Please, to meet more visit. of the people that have really put so much faith in you. They've got to be good people, man. Thanks, Alex. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. Well, there we have it. What do you guys think of Alex? Alex is insightful. He's kind. He's intelligent. He cares about his fellow man. I think he's really braved a lot of the changes socioeconomically in Oakland, and it's amazing to hear his perspective on that. And I hope that in the future he commits more of these thoughts and more of these emotions to Paige as he did growing up. In addition to all of this writing, establishing a dedicated gin bar in San Francisco called White Chapel. His view on gin is lovely, it's open, it's refreshing, and it's friendly. I hope that we can all go and enjoy a nice martini, a nice gimlet, and just sample the wide array of beautiful gins they have there in San Francisco. Thank you, Alex, for chatting with me, and thank you, Jessica Sanders, for making that introduction. That's what this hospitality industry is all about, making amazing connections with people and getting to really spend some quality time with them. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V. Thank you so much for making the 100th episode happen last week. We're on to the next frontier of 200 episodes, and I have to tell you, there are some great conversations that will be released this year. So whether or not you're thinking about how you felt about the new Ghostbusters movie or even think if they're going to make a sequel and what happened to Rick Moranis, please keep thinking.